Get to Old Navy now for February's biggest style steal. 40% off all jeans and tees. Jeans start at just 18 bucks for adults, 12 bucks for kids. With tees from just 7 bucks for adults, 6 bucks for kids. All jeans and tees are on sale, even your favorite rock star jeans. All jeans and all tees are 40% off right now. Don't miss out. Run into Old Navy and OldNavy.com today. Valid 211 to 221 excludes in-store clearance jeans and tees. Active licensed and men's package tees. Run into Old Navy Saturday and Sunday for 50% off all Old Navy active styles for adults and kids. They're all 50% off. But hurry, it's Saturday and Sunday only at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 215 to 216 excludes in-store clearance and baby. Five, five, four, four, three, three, two, one, one. When I had come down this hill, I had seen this creature cross the road. It would have ripped my locked door from my truck, extracted me from my vehicle, and there wasn't a damn thing I could have done about it. This thing, I got to notice in its eyes. Its eyes was real, real evil, real sinister looking. Look, it was given. What are you reporting? Jesus Christ, you bet. Sir? Yeah. Hello? Get somebody out here. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six foot nine, I don't know. Do you see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right at him. Uh oh. Sasquatch Chronicles, a place where people share their encounters. Let's start the show. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks for being here tonight. Hope wherever you're at, wherever you're listening to this, I hope it's nice and warm. Or at least you're nice and warm. Uh, if you're wondering, which you're probably not, but if you're wondering, it's uh, winter has arrived here in Washington State. It's gray, it's cloudy, and it's wet outside. Uh, but thank you for being here tonight. Hope your week has gone well. Got an interesting show coming up. Uh, before we get to that, if you've had an encounter and you'd like to be on the show, shoot me an email, wes at sasquatchronicles.com. And if you get a chance and you're out there listening to this, please visit SasquatchRonicles.com. Uh, there's additional shows throughout the week and a lot of information on there, forums, blogs, a lot of additional hard work goes into just beyond what you hear now. My first guest tonight comes to us from British Columbia. Uh, and before I bring Warren on, I want to give a shout out to his sons. Uh, I told them that I would. Uh, so if you're out there listening... Steve, Draven, and Drake, thank you guys so much for listening to the show. Uh, they're the ones that actually pushed their dad to uh, come on the show and share his encounter. So, fellas, if you're out there listening, thank you again. Well, let's jump right into it tonight. Uh, Warren, thank you for, for being here. I really do appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing your encounter. So, thank you. Uh, you're very welcome, Wes. And if you would, kind of just start from the beginning. You know, you and I talked about it last night about your encounter, and I think it's probably hands down one of the best encounters I've ever heard. But if you would, just kind of start from the beginning. Kind of tell us what you were out doing, and then walk us right into the encounter. Tell us what you experienced. Okay. Um, in September of 1984, my father and I, we... Uh we went to this little town in the Fraser Canyon called Hope, British Columbia. They were building a road there called the Coquihalla Highway. And my father and I had just left um, the Tumba Ridge area in northern British Columbia. We were operating engineers. Uh, my father was a, a dozer operator. 
with big cats, and I worked in the crushing division. We crushed gravel and crushed gravel for the road. My dad would pretty much help to build the road, and uh, so the work was at that time around hope. There was a lot of work there building that road. So that pit we were working at, the first pit was pretty close to town, and. Um, as I was there a week or two, I, I met this uh, native guy. I'm native myself. My father's Plains Cree from Alberta, and my mother's mother was Cherokee from Oklahoma, and my mother's father was Irish from Dublin. So I met this guy. His name was Billy, and he was from the Boston Bar Band, which is just a little bit north of Hope. And that whole area there is just big towering mountains so we were having a couple of beers at my motel one night and uh billy had told me that he lived within that reservation pretty much his whole life but he lived now in the little town of hope and he kind of lived in a little bit of a shack and uh, he said he had a big house there on the reservation and i asked him well if you have a big house there why do you live in that little shack in town and he said to me well, if I told you, you'd probably laugh at me. And uh, and I said, no, I won't laugh at you, man. You know, we're, we're bros. Why would I laugh? So anyways, he told me that a couple of years before then, um, it was the first or second week of July, and he lived in this big house that was right by the mountains. There's mountains everywhere there. And uh, he said it was really hot that summer, so he had his window open in his bedroom, and a screen there to keep the mosquitoes out. And he said he he woke up because he could hear this really scary breathing outside his window. And I said, what do you mean, scary breathing? And this is how he kind of described it. It was like, <sighs> like that. He said it just terrified him. He said he looked out the back window, and then right at the end of his backyard, right before the mountain there, was this big... He called it like a big beast or something standing there. And he, he said he just snapped. He lost it. He fell off the bed and he ran to his closet and grabbed the, his 30-30 rifle. And he said where he made the mistake was he turned the light on and because he'd been sleeping and his eyes, it took his eyes like a minute to adjust to the light. He said he knocked out the screen with the, the rifle and as he looked outside it when he could see again, it was gone. So he said he spent the next three hours running from room to room uh, with his rifle, just terrified that this thing was going to come in and, and get him. He said he, he remembered his brother was coming that morning to pick him up. And he said he could finally hear his brother's pickup coming up that long driveway to his house. And he said he came running out of the house with the rifle and kind of scared his brother, but his brother was like, what's, what's going on? He said, get me out of here. So they went back down. Well, that afternoon, they went back up to the house. They both had guns, and uh, it had rained like a few days before that. And he said in his backyard, he found uh, three footprints, and they were 17 and a half inches long. And then he, when he looked at me, I, you know, I admit I kind of laughed. You know, I, I didn't know whether he was joking or whether he was telling the truth. So I, I could see the hurt in his face that I kind of hurt his feelings by laughing, you know what I mean? And even to this day, I kind of feel bad about it. Life has a funny way of uh, teaching you a lesson, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think that's pretty much what happened to me. So, well, anyway, so we didn't really talk about it too much after that. You know, I, like I said, I kind of hurt his feelings, but... Um, in February 1985, um, we moved our crusher out of, a little bit farther out of town. It was probably about 18, 17, 18 kilometers outside of Hope on that, on that back road there. And it was a gravel road off the highway into this area. It was like kind of like a bowl area. It was like a big bowl where the gravel pit was. And, there was all these big towering mountains surrounding us. And I remember when we were going out there, both crews went out there on day shift. It usually takes us a couple of days to set up the crusher and get everything all ready to go. And and uh, 
the first thing I remember was thinking, wow, there's nothing out here. There's no houses. There's no buildings. There's not even logging trucks. There's nothing. It's just, you know, so isolated out there. It was kind of, kind of weird, like kind of a creepy feeling. So anyways, we set up the cluster there and, uh, um, I got put on night shift, which I don't really like night shift because it's a pretty long night, you know, the first couple anyways. And, uh, so after we, I probably worked about a, let's say close to a night or a week of night shifts. By this time we put up a pretty good pile of gravel up the hill and up the hill where the, where the guys from work, where we parked all our vehicles, um, a lot of the guys cut firewood up there, cut trees down and bucked it all up. And when we were done, we were going to load up our trucks with firewood and take, take some wood home. And that's where the porta potty was, was up the hill. So if we had to, you know, do a number two, as they call it, that's where you had to go. So, um, I remember just like it was yesterday, it was February 19th, 1985. And it was three o'clock in the morning. We, we worked from six to six. Our first break's at nine, our second break's at, at 12, which is our lunch break. And then three o'clock's our last coffee break. So that night, um, you know, I had to use the porta potty and, uh, it was three o'clock. So I just told the guy, our, our, uh, shift foreman, I got to head up to the, up the hill to go to the porta potty. So I'll be back. So, you know, just so they knew where I was. So I walked up the hill. And one thing about that night, it was uh, the moon was pretty much full. It was really cloudy, but it was so bright out. Like, I mean, it was it was just unbelievably bright. Like, you could see everything so well. There was no snow, but the ground was frozen. Like, it would, at night, it would be like 7, 8, 9 degrees below. And then during the day, it might get up to 3 or 4 above in that area so i went up to the porta potty and took care of business i walked out and as i was standing there i was putting the buttons on the last couple buttons on my coveralls they weren't the zip up ones these ones had buttons and about 150 yards from where i, I was standing that's how long our, our gravel pile was and uh we stockpiled that pile with, with uh, loaders, a 988B Caterpillar loader. And uh, now we were starting to stockpile down in the pit because we've got a pretty good area opened up down there. And uh, as I was looking down the road at that distance, I saw what I thought was a man walk around the corner and start walking up the road towards me. You know, at that distance, I mean, it, it was... You know, it just looked like a big shadow, and I went, I, I thought to myself, holy smokes, it's one of the guys from work coming to scare me. So I kind of stepped to my left, and I hid behind the bushes. And then I thought in my mind, right about now, he should be about halfway up that road towards me. So I kind of stepped out to my right again, past the bushes. And then that's when I saw what it was. It was like 40 feet away. It was kind of looking behind behind him. Um, it was, I say him because it was a male. It, uh, it uh, doesn't wear underwear, but it was a male, definitely. And it was kind of looking behind him as it was walking. It took like four or five more steps towards me. And then as it turned and looked towards me, it took one more step and then it stopped. And we were like 15 feet apart. 15, 16 feet at the most. It was standing there looking at me. I was looking at it. And uh, I, I've, in my entire life, I'm going to be 54 years old next next month. And I've never known such terror in my life to see something like that. So I looked at it. It looked at me. I was sitting, it, it made this big grunting sound like, oh, like that in a, a big cloud of, frozen breath came out of its nostrils and its mouth it was so much force from its lungs like a, it was just like a big cloud of smoke like i mean it, i couldn't believe how much force it and how much power it came from its its lungs like 
it was so loud it was it startled me it just chilled uh, my uh, blood in my veins it, it just kind of turned to its right and it, it took a few seconds for that frosty breath to kind of disappear it walked through it and kind of walked into the to the bush and uh, I just watched it I was just paralyzed with fear and then I just I heard this loud snapping crunch like a wood snapping I guess I kind of came out of it and I started running I didn't know what else to do I was just terrified I started running down the road and I was so panicked I kind of came off the road and went like 10 12 feet off the road and I kind of fell down the bank and into our pit and I guess it was probably 20 feet from the top to the bottom but luckily I bounced three or four times going down off you know rocks and big piles of dirt and, and stuff and I cut my hands up pretty bad and I smashed my knee up pretty bad on the rocks but when I hit the bottom I just got up and kept running I was so scared I didn't even want to look behind me I was just absolutely terrified I ran towards our, our power van and it, we have like a gen, gen sets that run on the crusher and I ran up the stairs and inside was a ladder up to the tower and up there we have the buttons that you know start our jaw crusher our screen deck our cone crusher and all our conveyor belts I ran up there and and I remember the tower operator said, Warren, what's wrong? And I, I, I told him, I'd just seen a Sasquatch up there. And he started laughing. And he asked me, are you smoking something out there, Warren? So I ran back down the stairs. I, I went to our, our tool van where our lunchroom was. I think I smoked about 15 cigarettes and uh, drank a pot of coffee. I was so, so shook up. And I just decided I'm getting out of here. I just... I was so scared, I ran up the hill, jumped in the truck, and I drove out of there. I don't even know how I made it out of there without wiping out. I was, I went right to town. I went to, went home, and my dad, I remember my dad was off work for that week, and, you know, I, I ran in, and I woke him up, and he asked me, he said, Warren, what's wrong? And normally I have brown skin, but my father said I was completely white. My My skin was... I was so pale, and I explained to him what I'd seen, and and he just looked at me and said, are you, are you serious? I go, yeah. What I did was I went over to Billy's place, I woke him up, and uh, I told him what happened. But I wasn't going back out there until it got light out, but I told Billy to grab his rifle, so he grabbed a, a 30-30, we went back out there, and... I went to exactly the place I was standing, right, right by the porta potty there, and where I, I'd seen it, where it went into the bush. We went in there, and I'm six foot three, and with my work boots on, six foot five. That thing just towered over me, and up on that tree, you could see where it had grabbed a branch and just tore it right off the tree. Like I couldn't even get my hands around that branch it was so thick like I couldn't believe anything could be that powerful to, to do that I think it it did that, that you know just to send me a message like don't follow me and um, so we kept going past past the tree and there was this little hill with this really long dead grass and it was covered in frost but you could see in three places where it had stepped like uh, Billy and I figured it was probably between four and a half and maybe five feet in between the steps and then it came to this to this rocky face there and, and there was a ledge up above us we couldn't if you jump we couldn't even touch the ledge but you could see on the ground where a couple of rocks had fallen down from that ledge so it looked to me like it grabbed the ledge pulled itself up and then disappeared into the rocks and then that's when Billy said let's get out of here and uh we jumped in the truck and we went back to town. As we were driving back to town, I realized that I wasn't losing my mind. And then I looked at my friend and I told him I was sorry that I laughed at him. And that was the question I was going to ask you, if, if Billy was the uh, guy in the beginning of the story that had an encounter. Let me ask you, Warren, for the audience listening, because I don't think a lot of people grasp 
how big these things actually are. But can you describe what was it about the creature that terrified you? What what scared me the most was that it, it made no sound as it walked up that road, and just the way it, just you could just see the power in its chest and in its shoulders as it walked. You know, the, its eyes like you could see in the moonlight, like its eyes were kind of uh, uh, like a goldish amber color. And um, as it stood there looking at me, it, it, its hands opened and closed a few times. You know, just the fact that it's something that out of a nightmare, you know what I mean? That's what scared me the most. And, and just the fact that it was so big and so powerful that it could have just ripped me to pieces. And I was so terrified I, I wouldn't have been able to run or anything. That's one of the things that scared me the most was that it's, it shouldn't have been there. It's like it's, I've heard a few stories of one, but I just laughed. You know, I didn't think it was it was real, but they're uh, definitely real. I know that now. Yeah, and it's one of those moments to where you, like you said, you realize that monsters do exist. You know, they are real. Uh, a lot of people, th- you know, even some of the people listen to the show, I think, think this is all fantasy, but these things are real. They're out there. They're, people do run into them. Let me ask you for the audience, could you describe what you saw in the in the most detail as you can? First of all, when it looked behind him, when it was, it was walking towards me, it was looking behind behind him and it looked like it's like its whole upper body was turned, not not just its head. You know what I mean? Like its whole upper body was turned. It's like I don't know, it it just seemed like he had to turn his whole upper body to look behind himself. That's the first thing that I noticed. Another thing that um, its arms were so big, like tree trunks, you know, its its chest and shoulders were just massive. It was a male. It, its skin, like like it's uh, on its face, it was covered in this really dark, it looked almost black fur, um, kind of like a bear, you know, like a, you see a black bear, it's kind of got, got that oily look to it. That's kind of the way it looked. You could see such definition in its muscle as, as it walked. On its its face, um, like I said, its eyes were kind of a goldish amber color. Its nose was kind of flat. And when it did see me, when it took that one step, you could see its nostrils flare as it stopped. Um its lower jaw was really big. I got a really good look at it when it turned sideways as it walked into the bush. When it turned sideways, you could see that its ears were, its ears kind of looked small for the size of its head. Um, like it looked like half the size of a human's ears, but as it turned sideways, you could see like its head was not really conical, but it, it was kind of tapered a bit. It had a, on its, right where its eyebrows, like, Above its eyes, it had a big, protruding kind of forehead. And its lower jaw was just massive. Like, it was really, really big. And um, as it turned sideways, you could see that its butt was really big, too. Its legs were really, really thick. And and its arms were really long. And um, as I took a look at its face, like, it was all covered in really dark hair but its face kind of looked I don't know in the moonlight there it kind of looked like either like a light grayish color kind of and uh, I didn't notice any teeth but when it when it grunted at me like when that big cloud of frozen breath came out of it it looked like smoke it kind of covered any chance of seeing teeth or anything that's pretty much exactly what it looked like it was just I, I would say um, almost six and a half feet before boots on, this thing just towered over me. Uh, I'd say close to eight feet tall. And I, I've I've seen grizzly bears in northern BC when I was hunting with my uncles, and I've seen grizzly bears eight nine hundred pounds, and I'd say this thing was pretty pretty close in, in mass. It was a seven eight hundred pound grizzly bear. It was just giant like i've never never in my life to imagine anything that was so big 
and the strength that it took to just rip that branch right off that tree. Like, he didn't struggle with it. It was instantaneous, just snap. That really scared me. That's something that, that powerful. I, I tend to agree with you, Warren. I think that when it snapped the, br- snapped the, the branch, that was more or less don't follow me, look what I can do type of behavior. And I've heard that a few times from witnesses, you know, that I've had on the show. Uh, after their encounter, they, you know, the Sasquatch goes one way, they go another. But they usually hear the Sasquatch break branches or push trees over. Um, and, and, you know, why do they do it? I couldn't tell you. Uh, but it makes sense that they're doing it to kind of as a way to you know, kind of look what I can do. Let me ask you, did, did the facial expression change at all when you popped out from the the bushes? Um, it, it kind of like, a, like when I, when it noticed me, it's, it's nose kind of flared and its eyes kind of, you could see its head kind of snap a little bit. Like it, it, it noticed me like, a, yeah, it kind of, I think I kind of startled it. I kind of surprised it, I guess. But as it as it just looked at me, it, I I think it could sense the terror in me. Another thing that happened, like I couldn't sleep for three days after that, and uh, my father said that my hair started to turn gray a little bit. Like he started noticing a week after that I'm starting to get gray hair on my head. I don't know if it's because of the terror I felt or or what, but. And that's the thing, you know, a lot of times, very few people have come as close as you have to the Sasquatch. It's interesting, too, the way you describe it, how it kind of, like, backs up a little bit. Kind of, you know, I would imagine its eyes got kind of big, and it was kind of surprised that you were there. Did you end up staying with the job, or did you end up quitting? What happened after that? Oh, uh, no, I, I just left. I, was, I wasn't hanging around there anymore, and, and uh, the the big boss of the... The company was a friend of my father's, and he called me the next morning and he said, Warren, are you all right? You know, the guys were saying, I said, yeah. I said, I'm not coming back. And, uh, you know, he was really surprised. He said, you know, Warren, are are you serious? I said, I'm not going back out there. I don't care how much money you pay me. There's something out there, and... uh, I've seen it, and I'm not going back, so I quit. And to be honest, it's been 30 years, and uh, I still haven't been back to that area. I don't ever, I don't ever know if I'm ever going to go back. You know, my 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 sons, Stephen, Draven, and Drake. You know, they they want us to take a drive out there next year in 2016. You know, and see if we can go find that place where I've seen it. And I've thought about it. Maybe I should, you know, try and make peace with it. So I can let it go, but you know, even though it's been 30 years, honest to God, you know, there hasn't been one day, not one day since that day, that I haven't thought about it. That's so much of a impact on my life it made. Even thinking about it now, I just get kind of, I get really emotional about it because to see something like that just walk right up on you. And, you know, I don't care how big you are and how tough you are, what kind of training you have, military, martial arts, when you're unarmed and you're out in the bush like that and something like that walks up on you. I don't know if there's too many men on this earth that wouldn't be as terrified as I was. No, and I tend to agree with you. You know, I've I've interviewed a lot of people over the years. You know, I've talked to uh, what comes to mind is the FBI agent I interviewed who had an encounter in Texas and, you know, this guy was going on and on, you know, give me his resume, how big and bad he was. And, you know, he's Mr. Law Enforcement and all this other stuff. And then after he gets done telling me his encounter, the guy broke down in tears for almost five minutes on the phone. And so you're right. It, re- it doesn't matter how big and bad you are, or how big and bad you think you are, uh, or how tough you think you are, what type of firearm you have in your hand. The type of fear that you're expressing and the type of fear that you felt is real you know it's something that will stick with you for a long time yeah 30 years and you know i still i can't get it out of my mind and that's pretty normal i think it'll probably stay with you the rest of your life what is it what is the tribal's view of it out there for the listeners mainly what is the tribal's view well, of well of like when i talked with billy about it after like in, in his culture 
they have stories, you know, from the old days where they said that these things came out of the mountains and stole women and children, and they were never seen again. And uh, in their culture, like, they have these carven masks called Sasquatch masks, you know, for their for their dancing and their cultural dancing and stuff. So the, they have stories in, of these Sasquatches for hundreds and hundreds of years, long before the Europeans even came here. It's not really big news to them. They know that they're there, and they've known that they've been there for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So it's a really big part of their culture, the Sasquatch. In, in our culture, I mean, you know, my people are from the northern plains of Alberta. We haven't really, I've never really heard any stories really much about the Sasquatch. You know, just stories of other things, but definitely down in, in the Fraser Canyon area uh, in British Columbia, all those tribes down there, the Sasquatch is a really big part of their culture. And if you talk to pretty much any Native from those areas down there, they'll all tell you the same thing that they're out there. They all know it, but usually the Canadian people, like the, the non natives, are really skeptical about it. I have to admit, I kind of was too, but I'm not now. It's kind of like what you and I were saying the other day. You know, it's all fun and games until you run into one. Yeah. And then once you realize that these things are real, it's a whole different ball game. You know, it's a whole different. Uh, mentality that you have once you've actually seen one and you're right you know the Fraser uh, there's actually that it's kind of a the area you just mentioned the Fraser Canyon the Fraser River that whole area that whole section geographically is pretty well known for the Sasquatch and you mentioned the uh, the dances that they do the masks that they wear you know here in Washington State when I was a little boy I went out to Chief Aluska's place here in Yakult, Washington, and they had a thing where, and it scared, I remember it scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. Uh, they had a thing where the Sasquatch female, they have a mask and they have a, a Native American dancer dance, and, and they tell the story about how she goes and she takes children, she eats them, um, and then at the very end of the show, she reaches in and tries to grab one of the kids. And I, and I think I was actually in her line of path when that happened. I mean, it really did scare the hell out of me. Uh, but, you know, it's fascinating that that's in their culture. You know, it's it's sometimes truth is more fascinating than fiction. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, one of the strange things, even 30 years later, is how these things can can live out there pretty much undetected. And it's, it amazes me that nobody's brought one in yet, you know, whether by accidentally killing it or or shooting it. You know, it's it's amazing. When I was talking to some of my friends about it, they were saying that they think that uh, there there are documented cases of bodies, but they want to keep it suppressed like they don't want anyone to know about it because if they did know about it then the logging industry you know a big industry would be pretty much shut down and they'd be put on the endangered species list or something so that's what some of my friends think that they don't want it to be known publicly that these things really exist because of the damage it would do to the economy so that kind of makes sense to me too yeah, I think that's part of the reason. I think there's a uh, some darker, more sinister things going on, but I tend to agree with you. I think that, you know, for the most part, it comes down to money. It comes down to uh, the economy. It comes down to a lot of things like that, why it doesn't come out. And, you know, to be honest with you, it, who I was just talking to, uh, I was just talking to a witness the other day. And he was asking me the same question about not finding any bodies. And I said, you know, to be honest with you, I feel like I've walked most of central Washington uh, by foot with a rifle in my hand. And I said, I've never come across a bear that's died naturally. I've never come, actually, I've never come across any animal that's just died naturally. Uh, sometimes you'll come across prey like deer and whatnot that have been poached. But for the most part, you really won't come across 
especially a predator. You know, out here we have cougar and bear, like cockroaches, man. They're everywhere. But rarely will you ever see them. Rarely will you ever come across one. And I don't know anyone that's come across an actual dead body of one. You know, and then with these things, you have to think about the fact that, like the one that you saw, it's eight, maybe nine feet tall, maybe a thousand pounds. Well, you put a bullet in that thing, how are you going to get it out of there? You know what I mean? It's You have to cut it up to get it out of there. You're not just going to drag a body out of the woods. And so, um, and that's assuming no other ones are around, you know, that, that will prevent that from happening. But, um, yeah, it's a fascinating encounter. I can just imagine you scaring the hell out of this thing. You probably startled it. It startled you. And then you guys went separate ways, which is pretty common, you know, as far as encounters go. Uh, a lot of encounters end up being like that. You know, the Sasquatch is startled, the witness is startled, and they both just kind of go their separate ways. I can imagine it's, you know, it's going to stay with you the rest of your life. That's for sure. Yeah, I, 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 like I said, I, I I can't ever forget it. I mean, I think about it all the time. You know, the horrible nightmares that I had. And, and you know, Wes, I've, I've had so many people in 30 years tell me, Yo, Warren, you know, you you should be thankful. You know, you got to see one of those things. Well, if you can say getting gray hair at 23 years of age, the horrible nightmares, the terror, not being able to sleep, if you call that lucky, then I'm the luckiest man in the world. Yeah, and that's pretty common, too. You know, people who've had real encounters, generally what they'll say is, if I could go back in time, I regret that ever happening. I would change time to where that never happened. And that kind of sounds like the case that you're in, you know. It's the people that haven't seen them, Warren, that make statements like that. They have no clue what they're talking about. Yeah, exactly. When I told my sons, you know, about it, you know, that my youngest sons there, they, they were quite interested in it and, Back then, and 30 years ago, you know, there was no internet or anything, so I didn't really have any way of doing any research on it. Like um, the only thing that I've seen on the internet that looks anything like what I saw is that Patterson film. I got to admit, when when I seen that, it kind of gave me chills. Oh, that Bigfoot there—that was uh, pretty much what I saw. Almost pretty much the same except i think that one was a female the one i saw was a male and it was much bigger like the the one i seen was i've never seen anything so massive so big and and like just the the strength like like i said i'll never forget that the strength that it took to rip that branch right off that tree you just leave it hanging there like that i mean that branch was so big six men could could hang from it and not break it it was just ripped right off the tree like it was nothing i couldn't believe that even to this day like what anything with that kind of strength and i remember one of my uncles told me um you know the one who killed that big grizzly there at one time and he said the only thing that would uh, have a chance against a bigfoot is probably a grizzly and uh from what i've seen i don't think a grizzly would have a hope in hell not a hope in hell against one of those things. There's just no way it would, a grizzly would survive a fight with one of those Sasquatches. Not the one I've seen. Just, you could just see the, the, the strength in that thing was just unbelievable. Even when it, when it grunted at me, like the force from its lungs was so loud. Like, it was just unbelievable. There's something that powerful lives out there in those mountains. You know, I've never been back in 30 years. I don't really know if I if I can, to be honest. I stay up in the northern plains of Alberta now where it's flat and not as much bush. I get kind of really scared when I'm up in anywhere near the mountains now. Because every time I see the mountains, I think of that, that night. I don't blame you one bit. You know, and I think even a grizzly, I tend to agree with you on that. You know, one of my most favorite encounters is out of Alaska that I've heard. And a grizzly bear actually took off running when a Sasquatch showed up. You know, and a grizzly bear doesn't run for much. 
they're the top of the food chain when it comes to predators. Exactly. And so I, I tend to agree with you. But I can't thank you enough, Warren, for taking the time to share the encounter. I know this happened back to you, God, almost 30 years ago. Uh, but, you know, taking the time to share the encounter and and coming on the show. I know uh, your family listens to the show, so I want to give them a quick shout-out. and Thank you for for listening, and I just really wanted to thank you, Warren, for coming on. I'd also like to thank you, Wes, for having this show so people like me can come on and, and share with other people and not be ridiculed or laughed at. I, I really thank you for that. It's actually... I feel a lot better being able to share this with you. No, and I can't thank you enough for doing it. Anytime. And I want to thank Warren again for coming on. And again, if you've had an encounter and you'd like to come on the show, shoot me an email, wes at sasquatchchronicles.com. Let's head out of British Columbia and back to the United States. And let's go to Norman, who is in Georgia. Norman, thanks for coming on. Appreciate you being here. Well, thank you for having me, Wes. I appreciate that. Before we go into your encounter, what was kind of your take on the whole Sasquatch subject? Well, my dad, he used to watch in search of as a little kid, so, you know, and he had some books about Bigfoot and stuff like that, so I got familiar with the name, and um, then, you know, just like two years ago, really, when I, Finding Bigfoot came out, it just piqued my interest, and ever since then, it's it's been history, as they say. Yeah, no, they're definitely there in Georgia, that's for sure. Uh, Oh, yes, sir. Kind of start from the beginning. Tell us kind of what you were doing and what you saw, what you experienced, and uh, just walk us right into it. All right. Well, it was, of course, a beautiful blue sky, you know, not really cold, but, you know, cool and everything. So I left the house here and had to go to a little town, um, Morvin, Georgia, a little, you know, and... uh, I had to go to the store, and I took the back way home, which is, well, I'll just go ahead and say the Quitman Highway. And uh, when you get so far out of it going west, um, you actually have to go over a hill and everything. And I had the windows down doing about 40, 45, you know, just the radio going, doing my thing. I happened to come over this hill, and when you go over a terrain or go over the, along a road so so long, you know exactly what you see and don't, you know, because you, you travel it so much. Anyway, I happened to see this figure standing to my left. The person didn't think nothing about it. I thought it was somebody checking the mail. Sometimes they had their mailbox across the road, you know. People walk across the check. But then all of a sudden, this thing turned, and I noticed it took three steps. The fourth step, it was off the asphalt. It was gone. It was just gone. But I, it was a very bright brown color, and I watched the actual step. Three steps on the two-lane highway from left to right, and it was gone. And my first mode was, you know, did I see what what I just thought I saw, you know? And, of course, you know, I was like, yeah, I went into a daze. Like, I went into some kind of shutdown-type mode. It's one thing to know they're real, but it's another thing when you actually lay eyes on one. It's a whole different world. And, uh, first of all, it was kind of like I had to process it, you know, and I kind of slowed down, and as I went down where it was... I looked on the left, and there wasn't the first mailbox, so I ruled that out, you know. Okay, no mailboxes. And I was guess, I guess I was just giving confirmation to myself, you know. And there's some trailers there on the right, and the mailboxes are there at each driveway, and they're like, I don't know, 30, 40 yards apart, something like that, and about 50, 100 yards off the road. So if it had been a human, I would have gotten there before they even got to the front porch, you know what I mean? So I... uh I happened to look there all around the trailers as I went by. I mean, I was doing like, I don't know, 15 miles an hour, somewhere in there. And I looked, and there wasn't the first movement of any human. And this thing, if I had to guesstimate, I'm six one. This thing was seven and a half to eight foot tall. I mean, I went this past Sunday morning, and I stood there, and I actually teared up. You know, I, I had to I had to go back there to, you know, I don't know why, just I had to go back to that world where I saw it. And I actually teared up, not so much in fear. I don't know why I actually teared up. That's crazy, but it just it happened, you know. And the, like I said, to know they're real is one thing, but when you lay eyes on a flesh and blood Bigfoot, it changes your outlook completely. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. What what time of day was this? 
It was between, and this kind of shot me too when I think about it, between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. And, you know, usually think about night or morning. It, they can be seen anytime. But to cross the road, and the thing, too, was not only at that time and seeing this thing, period, but it was like standing looking, like where it, it had just come from. Like it was just standing there looking. It didn't even bother to look or turn towards me. It's just like, you know, okay, leave me alone. I'm going on across. You know, it didn't act like it didn't run or act like it was going to run. It just walked three steps. You know, you see the I've seen YouTubes. I've heard people, you know, on your show giving accounts and everything. And uh, But to actually watch this thing, and I stood there on the left Sunday morning, right about where it was, and I looked across that two-lane highway, and I just, I, I'm still in disbelief. I mean, it literally, I, I, I'm in a daze. Let me ask you, how many steps do you think it would take for a person to walk across that two-lane highway? Well, I'm 6'1", about 240, 245, so for me, on a regular walk would be about, I'd say between six and eight steps. Not trying just regular walk. For me, personally, I'd say between six and eight steps. And this thing turned, and in three steps, the fourth step, it was off the asphalt to the right, and it was gone. When you're coming over the hill now, and you're looking right. down, and you see what you think is a person at first, how what's what kind of a distance are we talking about? About well, I'd say between 150, possibly 200 yards. But um, I can tell you, it was cl- it was close enough that I could see it was bright brownish, or some people may say red, like an orangutan color, but only brightened more. If that makes any sense, I, from head to toe, and this thing just turned and it made made its walk to the right. And it was gone just that quick, you know. And But it was, I'd say, between 150, 200 yards. I could definitely see the walk real well. I counted the footsteps, believe it or not. It just happened so quick. But I do remember the bright brown color of this thing and the three steps it took. That's it. Yeah, and that's an interesting encounter, you know, that you would think with these creatures that they would hear the car coming. You know, on a lot of roadside crossings, that's a weird part about roadside crossings. I still haven't figured out to this day. Most roadside crossings are kind of how you describe Norman. You're coming up on the thing, and within view, it'll cross a road. Or you'll get a lot of incidences where people are driving 45 miles an hour, and they'll dart out right in front of them. You know, 40, 50 feet away, they'll dart out in front of them to go across the road. And right. you know, they hear that they got to hear their car coming. You know, in your instance, I know you live out in the woods. You you know you're you're out there in the rural areas. Yes, sir. It, it doesn't matter what kind of car you're driving. You know it had to have heard your car coming, and that's for whatever reason. That's actually kind of normal behavior. I mean, from the from the witnesses I've actually spoken to, uh, did you were you able to get any details? I would imagine within three steps, it's probably gone. You, it was you know, but were you able to get any details or anything as you were coming over the hill? When it turned, it wasn't, believe it or not, it was not what I would call barrel-chested, like you hear a lot of reports, you know, big, you know. It was more like a runner's-type build. It really wasn't like the barrel-chested, you know, arms down. It had like the paddy-type arms, like regular-length arms, more or less. But it it was all in brown, and like I said, the three steps over a two-lane highway, that's when I went into shutdown mode or whatever you call it, a daze, you know, thinking... But I did notice that it was not, when it turned to walk, it was not barrel-chested. It was more like a runner's build, if you can picture that. Yeah, and that's pretty common, too. As you and I were talking the other day, uh, most of the reports I get out of Georgia is that runner's-type build is usually what people say. I mean, I do get the occasional King Kong types, but I would say for the most part, it's that runner's build that most people describe. Uh, Your wife had an encounter, didn't she? Yes, sir, she did about six months, well, half a year ago, six months or seven months ago, one night, uh, where we live, we live about mm, 10 to 15 miles west about, off if anybody knows about Georgia, and uh, she, well, we live in a mobile home park, you know, has paved roads and all through, you have to go about 100 yards to get to the stop sign to get on the two-lane highway out here, and about 9.15 one night, she was kind of like some people, she she didn't really dismiss it, but she really didn't believe it. 
And I kept telling her, hey, they're real, they're real. She got up to the stop sign. She was going to go to a store down there in Morva. She looked to the left. She said she looked to the right. And there's road construction around here going on, up, coming up toward our way now. And they have a little trailer, you know, or whatever on the side. But as they do it, they move the trailer. And there was a street light. And you can see it from my house. She got up to the stop sign. She looked to the left, looked to the right. She said she noticed there was a figure standing in the middle of the four-lane road. And she said it was just like a tall man with a hoodie, a hoodie on, you know. And uh, she said she looked back to the left and then to the right again before she turned out, you know, on the left. And said this thing was already on this side of the road in a crouching position, ready on two feet to jump into a deep ditch that's here on our side of the road. Now, right across the road is nothing but woods. And she came in, and she she had lost, like, she was, like, pale-faced, and I knew something was wrong. And when she told me, I should have said, baby, I'm sorry, but the first thing I said was, dang it, I should have went with you, you know. But she had that, and ever since then, you ask her now if they're real, and I believe she'll quickly tell you, yes, they are. Is there any reason why she thought it was maybe a person or not a person? Well, two days later, Tuesday, that was a Sunday night. Two days later, and by the way, I talked to a neighbor who had something happen to his place that night. But um, I went out there two days later, and I stood. There was no traffic in the moment. I stood, and the, toward evening, right where she said she saw it, the minute I stood there, she said, that thing dwarfed you. She said, don't don't even try. Thank you for trying, but this thing makes you look little. And I'm six one. She said, what I saw, that streetlight, you know, show shadow throwing the silhouette she said that you that that made you look like you know like you were a little kid so and then she just said when she looked back again it had done cry and i tried to cross the steps you know to that side from the middle where this thing was to where she saw it go it took me about let's see about about five or six steps and that's just crossing that one lane of a four lane and she said she looked to the left looked back to the right and i'm guessing within one, two steps, this thing was already to the side. And uh, I talked to a neighbor. Actually, I've talked to some people around here, and they've kind of opened up to me when they saw I was serious about it. Neighbor down there, west of us, about 100 yards across the road, has a big garden in his uh, backyard. And how do you approach somebody about, you know, this topic? You don't know how they're going to react. And I said, you know, don't, don't think me crazy, sir, but my wife had an encounter. And at first he said it was a bear. I said, no, sir, because bears don't have human arms and fingers. And uh, anyway, I told him what happened, and I went to leave, and he actually stopped me. He said, uh, wait a minute, I do have something I can tell you. And I said, you know, please do. He said, I have this garden in here. He said, I've had animals eat everything in this garden. I've had trouble, but never touched the tomatoes. He said about two nights ago, which was the same night she saw it, she, he said, every one of my tomatoes were gone. Nothing else was touched. Now, I don't know if I can put them two together, but it makes me wonder. Yeah, that is interesting. It makes me wonder, too, why they're coming through the area now, you know, why people are starting to see them now. And I know you'd mentioned the road construction, you know, out in a rural area. I've talked to some of those guys on those crews and uh, whenever they're out in the rural areas, and I've actually gotten some pretty good encounters from those road construction guys. They'll say, um, a lot of, t- uh, I can't, I'm trying to think, I talked to one probably six to eight months ago, and they were doing some, actually here in Washington State, they were doing some road construction, right. and they were out in the middle of nowhere uh, in the forest, actually widening the roads is what they were doing. Um, and he, he had an encounter. He said he saw two of them, and they were kind of peeking around a tree from a distance, wow. watching the crew work. You know, it terrified him. He didn't know, he had never seen anything like that before. But he said among the road crews, the guys that have been on those road crews for a while, uh, they'll talk about it pretty openly that whenever they go into the national forest, you know, or, or along the national forest, and they're widening widening some of those roads, right? Uh, they'll have encounters out there uh, when they're doing that. It makes you wonder if you know, and and I guess I'm just kind of dr- grasping at straws, but maybe it's all the road construction going on out there in the rural place that you live that's maybe bringing them in, or you know, who knows why they're coming in now? Well, the wife. She told me, she said she believes now, of course, we talk, we talked about it a lot on and off, and she said, well, I actually believe that they could be migratory. You know, this could be an area that they've been passing through, 
But then again, like you said, the road construction, you know, it's kind of maybe it brings them out of curiosity. You know, it could be a number of reasons, or they just feel like they're being moved from where their place of stability is. I mean, I don't know. It could be anything, like you said, you know. So, yeah. But I can promise you this. No matter where you go, you can always bank that there can always be one, even if it ain't but just, I don't know, 500 feet of a circle of wood. You know, there can be how many in there, you know. They just go stealth mode. This one, when it crossed the road from my left to my right, it didn't even look at my car. It's just like, I guess it it heard me coming, I'm guessing, and it was standing there looking where it just come from, and it just, three steps, it, it was, wow. It's Like I said, when you see one of these things, it, it, it can be a life-altering experience. You know, I already knew they existed, but when you actually see one, that's that's a whole new world. Well, I'm glad you got the chance to uh, experience it, especially from your car. You know, I think that is the encounter most people would want. You know, when you're you're in your car, you're driving, and then you see it, but you feel like you're somewhat in control because you're in your car, exactly, uh, and you're and you're in motion. So, uh, fascinating encounter, Norman. I can't thank you enough for coming on and and sharing. Keep me updated too if anything else happens around there, will you? Oh, I sure will. And like I said, I know it ain't significant as a bunch of others, you know, but I know what I saw, you know, and that's all there is there is to it. That's 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 my story. I'm sticking to it. Exactly what happened. And to see one, it will change the way you think. And I will I will keep you updated, uh, Mr. West. Thank you for having me. And they're all significant, Norman, but thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, sir. And that's it for tonight, everyone. Remember, if you've had an encounter, shoot me an email, wes at sasquatchronicles.com. And if you get a chance, check out the uh, website, sasquatchronicles.com. Until next time, everyone, have a great night. Oh, 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 oh,